0: It's go time. Welcome everyone to 3rd Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Lots to talk about this week. The first is... Germaine to football, but germane to life. And it's something that's coming up in Canada on September the 30th. That's the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Canada is based on a mosaic fabric where we have all kinds of cultures from different nationalities, from different parts of the world coming together, but still being respected for who they are. And that's sort of a cornerstone Canadians have wanted, and it's now time to extend that to the people that were here first, the Indigenous populations, make sure that they feel welcome in their own land. Something that's important to the Canadian Football League, especially through their diversity programming, I would highly recommend listening to the Waggle podcast. The Waggle bonus episode from September 23rd, 2022, Diversity is Strength Conversations. The Pursuit of Truth and Reconciliation. They have three guests on the show. It's a fascinating listen. It's a heartfelt discussion.
1: It is, absolutely. And for those unaware, Friday, September 30th, as Don mentioned, is the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation and Orange Shirt Day. So you will likely see a lot of people in schools and in places of business wearing Every Child Matters orange t-shirts. That is in respect uh, to this event and a lot of the Funds from purchasing those shirts go to help Indigenous and First Nations causes. And as we see in the CFL with their diversity program, they are embracing this as well with some special helmet decals and some special Indigenous language announcements and that sort of thing as well.
0: Decals are being worn by the British Columbia Lions and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in respective games on Friday night. The Lions are going to have one that was uh, designed, you've seen it last year, that they had a digital image of it on the center field. This year, it's going to be actually on the helmets. It's a stylized BC Lions logo designed by Corinne Hunt, and it's really creative. The Blue Bombers, going back to the Star Blanket W, which they wore last year, the Red Blacks are also going to use an alternate logo for their game in BC on Friday night. Each team, likely the Rough Riders and the Red Blacks, we know the Red Blacks are gonna wear a special decal, but they're also probably gonna wear orange spatting. We're probably gonna have something from the Rough Riders as well as the teams that are on the field that night. The um, Red Blacks actually unveiled their special decal against the Argonauts last week. And uh, Rod Smith called attention to that. And it was nice to see TSN give notice to this. It's been missed a couple previous times. Just to wrap this up, in Winnipeg, an 18-year official with the Canadian Football League, Brian Kripalu, is going to announce penalties in Ojibwe during the game. He jokingly has stated that he hopes there aren't too many penalties in the game.
1: It is some some pressure for sure. Obviously, traditional languages didn't have professional Canadian football, so some of the Creativity and how these games are called come into play, and we we saw that earlier this year as well when the Elks had a radio broadcast game in Cree, and words like touchdown, offside, etc., are not necessarily traditional words. So it always takes a little bit of of pre planning as to how that's going to go, but a wonderful step, and we've seen a lot of the Prairie Province teams also. When you're in stadium for their games, have land acknowledgements. The Rough Riders have done a great job of having the anthem singers, usually from neighboring communities, First Nations communities around Regina as well. So every little bit is a step in the right direction. And these these helmet decals look really cool. And it's a, a great way to get them very visible and to bring awareness to this this tough subject.
0: The Rough Riders also had uh, player introductions in Cree on the July 8th game against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Being in stadium for that, it was amazing to hear that, and the announcer did a fantastic job. The one between Winnipeg and Edmonton that you to which you refer, that was on Winspeaker Radio in Alberta, and they've got a couple of FM stations, one in Edmonton, one in Calgary. It's a great mechanism to embrace First Nations and bring them more awareness of the Canadian Football League. It's it's kind of a win-win in a sense because you're raising awareness on the one level and you're trying to create goodwill at the same time. It's very important that in reconciliation that you do
1: both. You do. I, I think this is, as we said, a, a step in the right direction. It'll be interesting to see how this continues to grow for the CFL and, and for these teams and what further involvement will come of it. We, we talk about diversity and it's this in particular has to do with truth and reconciliation, but there's a lot of other groups that are being more included in these diversity projects and you see radio broadcasts in, in many other languages that are not the two official languages in Canada, not just in the CFL, but I know NHL does broadcast some as well. And it's a a continued way to expand your audience and to make everybody feel a part of this fandom.
0: The Ottawa Red Blacks, for want of a better term, pooped the bed against the Toronto Argonauts last week. And there are a lot of people left absolutely consternated over what happened at the end of the second quarter when the Red Blacks, who were close to midfield have their quarterback Nick Arbuckle get sacked. They lose about eight yards on the play. Clock is winding down. It looks like they're going to take a time count violation with no time left on the clock. Arbuckle is with both hands pointing to the clock saying almost to the effect of who cares if it runs out and Paul Lapelise calls a timeout. He's furious. Arbuckle is confused. The offense is they don't know what's going on. The next play they just take a knee anyway. Why? Why? do you take a timeout, then take an e. If they'd have just accepted the penalty and gone back 10 yards, nothing would have changed and they still would have had the timeout. Instead, they waste it. Arbuckle is not there to start the third quarter. We don't know what went on between the two at halftime. Was Arbuckle upset that they didn't even try to launch one to the end zone? Who knows? At any rate, the Red Blacks folded in the second half And it wasn't until Arbuckle came back in that they did anything. I feel bad for Caleb Evans. He got thrust into an impossible situation.
1: We've seen some questionable clock management by more than one coach in the CFL this season. But this one was the most questionable clock management decision. Half of the Toronto Argonauts were already down the tunnel going to the locker room, had to come back out for this one play. And because of that disorganization for the Argos, I thought maybe it was going to be an opportunity for the Red Blacks to try to catch them off guard, throw a deep one. And if nothing else, maybe draw a pass interference penalty and set up a field goal. But to, to call the timeout and then your next play is to take a knee was completely senseless. I don't know what Paul Lapelise was trying to prove or if he just completely lost track of what was going on, but a very, very bizarre decision And you have to speculate, we've talked in the past about the the hot seat that Paul Apelis is on, and it definitely hasn't gotten any cooler after this last week's game.
0: Ottawa was at midfield. They needed another first down if Lewis Ward was going to have an opportunity to kick. Arbuckle is sacked. The clock shows 11 seconds, but because he's tackled in the field of play, when the referee winds it up, it's going to start up again. Then the confusion starts. And after the clock hits zeros, that's when the timeout is called. This would have been the final play of the half, regardless. Wasting a timeout to take a knee is just, it just boggles my mind what was going on and why that decision was taken. We have talked about some errors that have happened with Paul Lapelisse's choices. in the past, specifically going back to the Winnipeg game where they have about 13 seconds left in the half. They decide to run a passing play, but they don't stop the clock prior. They're well within field goal range. They get the first down, but the clock has run out and they're at the 20-yard line. These types of things have happened time and again. What, if you're Sean Burke, do you do with this information?
1: At this point, with the direction that the Ottawa Red Blacks season has gone, I don't know if it's worthwhile making a change and putting somebody in an, an interim basis unless he is very seriously considering that person as the head coach. Mike Benavides, the defensive coordinator, is one person in that organization that has experience. The way that defense played in this game, I don't necessarily think that he'd be the best choice to go into the head coaching role either. So I I just don't see making a bold move and bringing somebody in right now, but certainly you have to think that in this off season, all the cards are going to be on the table and there's going to be some strong consideration for different coaches in that Red Blacks organization.
0: How does that locker room believe in what they're doing anymore? We go back to the end of last season. Montreal is the host team. Ottawa goes down and scores a touchdown. And they decide to go for two with no time on the clock to win the game. Matters little to the standings in terms of where Ottawa was going, but it mattered a lot to the Alouettes. Ottawa took the bold step and scored and won the game. A lot of cachet comes with that. Team is proud of its coach, excited, great offseason, they come into this, and now we've seen it repeatedly where decisions have been taken that don't seem to be the correct ones. And it begins to beg the question, is there a point at which you say, maybe you're just not cut out to be a head coach anymore? Maybe his winning record is less than 250. A qu- He wins a quarter of the games he's been a head coach, less than a quarter. That doesn't usually merit another opportunity.
1: And you look at that win percentage and a lot of it comes from one successful season in Winnipeg and some abysmal ones there as well. So you're right. It, it, You need to look at all of these factors. I know the loss of Jeremiah Mazzoli was a huge hit for the Red Blacks this season as well. It's a what could have been season, but the decisions that they've made since the loss of Mazzoli haven't instilled a lot of confidence in me that this was a team that was going in the right direction. I feel bad for the fans of the Ottawa Red Blacks. They continue to come out well and support that team in the stands, but you could hear and see frustration from those Red Blacks fans this last week. There was a lot of boo birds out there and some questionable gestures towards the TSN cameras, if you will. The The fans themselves are frustrated. They're a a team in this incarnation that hasn't been around for a lot of years but they have had some successful years and, and you can start to see that waning a bit in the fan base in ottawa
0: even with mazzoli the red blacks were zero and four to start the season it isn't necessarily that mazzoli was a huge linchpin that was going to change their fortunes he may have over time we'll, we'll never know for this season but they were zero and four
1: They were. They had lost some close games, but at the end of the day, they're still in the loss column and not the win column.
0: That second half against Toronto, it just seemed like everything that could come off the rails for the Red Blacks did. And at a time when you needed to be challenging Toronto, because Ottawa's playoff fate is sort of riding in the balance, not completely, but all but. And yet they were still throwing short passes, throwing outs. They weren't trying to threaten the Argos deep, trying to get a quick strike, trying to get some confidence.
1: And you've got receivers like Jalen Acklin and Darvin Adams who can be deep threats. They were taking the safe routes. They tried to get Devontae Dedman into the offense a little bit, but it was generally on sweeps and not even pushing the field with him. He's a guy that you could send on a go route and launch one and see what happens. He can certainly outrun pretty much everybody, if not everybody in the CFL. So you turn him loose on a deep route and things can happen. They just were not willing to take that chance. Toronto's defense stepped up and the game just completely got out of hand.
0: Playoffs. Playoffs? Maybe it's far too early to discuss this, but if you've got an abacus and a slide rule, maybe an old-fashioned calculator, an adding machine, some ability to work out algorithms, then follow along as we try to Give the all too early playoff scenarios for the East and West in the CFL. Let's start out West. We know that Winnipeg is in the playoffs. If they win against Saskatchewan, they can do no worse than second, but they're not guaranteed first unless they either beat the BC Lions in that home and home or get two wins and BC loses three of its remaining games.
1: I kind of like how Major League Baseball does it down the stretch with their magic numbers. And Winnipeg's magic number to finish first overall is three at this point. A combination of, of wins and BC losses will get that for them. Calgary still mathematically has an opportunity to move into first place, but their magic number, or, er, Winnipeg's magic number against Calgary is currently one. So a lot has to go right for Calgary to still creep into first place. It looks like it's Winnipeg and BC with Winnipeg in the driver's seat. And it may come down to two games at the end of the season between these two teams. I would imagine it is likely to be wrapped up prior to that.
0: BC's only hope is if they sweep the Bombers in that home and home. And then they need the Bombers to not win any more than one of their remaining. So that would be one of the other two that they play. Saskatchewan is kind of the real funny duck in all of this. They're kind of in a three-way race. Saskatchewan can finish second if they win all the remaining games and BC and Calgary get wiped off the map, lose everything. They finish third if they win all the remaining games and one of BC or Calgary (laughs) lose all the remaining games. We'll get to crossover in a minute. Toronto out east is in. They can start clinching home field advantage with another win. And if they do well down the stretch, minimum, let's say they win four, they absolutely ironclad guarantee they get first. If they win less than four then they need a tiny bit of help. If they win three, Montreal must lose at least once. If the Argos win two, the Alouettes must lose twice. And if Toronto beats Montreal in that mix, then of course their odds of finishing first go way up. And of course the Alouettes and the Argos have a home and home. Montreal right now is the driver's seat to finish second. They can stay there basically if they can keep Hamilton and Ottawa at bay. Hamilton, the only way they're going to get through, they've got to sweep Ottawa, basically almost win out to move past the Alouettes. The Alouettes, if they win two games, the Ticats are done trying to finish into second. Ottawa, their prayer is to win all the remaining five. they They've And they need help. They need Montreal to be wiped out and Hamilton to be wiped out in that mix.
1: I hope our listeners caught all of that because we're not going to repeat it. (laughs) One other thing that comes into play at this point is you start to look at the season series and the head-to-head matchups. We know Winnipeg has won the season series against the Calgary Stampeders. So any opportunity for Calgary, they actually have to leapfrog Winnipeg in the standings, which is unlikely. The head-to-head between BC and Winnipeg is still up in the air. Winnipeg won the first game, but it is a best of three series, so anything can kind of happen in that one. The Riders have lost the season series to the BC Lions and to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at this point. They have no hope of finishing first anyway. That one's a bit of a moot point. Calgary Saskatchewan is going to be interesting. They have a couple of matchups coming up, and that's, I believe, where it's really going to boil down to A, Calgary having an opportunity to even finish second, and B, If Saskatchewan loses both those games, that crossover suddenly is not a guarantee either.
0: For Saskatchewan to finish in the crossover mix, if Saskatchewan doesn't win another game, Hamilton must lose three of its final four. If Edmonton wants to get into the mix, they must win three of their remaining four. That would leapfrog Saskatchewan. And again, Edmonton in a tie loses out.
1: I guess what's great at this point is there are a couple of teams that have clinched playoff spots already but nobody is completely mathematically eliminated so there's all the fan bases out there there's still a chance that might not be the greatest chance but uh, as they say in poker a chip in a chair is sometimes all you need and that's what uh, the red blacks the elks and in some regard the tiger cats are all sitting right now they're down to their last chip but they still have a shot at it
0: well, let's, let's look at Saskatchewan just one more time. If the Rough Riders lose to Winnipeg, they go to Hamilton and play the Tiger Cats. The Tiger Cats on the bye this weekend. If the Tiger Cats beat the Riders, they are one win out of the playoffs at that moment. The Riders finish the season against Calgary. The Tiger Cats finish the season against Ottawa. There's a real chance that the Rough Riders will not make the playoffs in that scenario. Edmonton in this mix, again, has to finish ahead of Saskatchewan, has to finish ahead of of Hamilton. As the CFL noted when they they put up a quick look at this CFL playoff scenario, everyone still has a chance. That percentage is really dependent on where you are in the standings right now. Ottawa and Edmonton, lowest percentage of making it. Saskatchewan and Hamilton, Roughly the same because of that huge game in Hamilton. It could really determine a lot. So, for Toronto, Calgary, BC, and Winnipeg, the playoffs aren't about making it, it's about where they finish in the standings and whether they get home dates.
1: Second down.
0: Three games in the Canadian Football League last weekend. We open with the Tiger Cats coming off a big win over Winnipeg, going into Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Again, a strong start by Hamilton, leading 10-3 at halftime. They can't sustain. That second half has been such a tough thing for them to manage, and especially that fourth quarter. The Alouettes outscoring the Tiger Cats 20-6 in the second half, winning the game 23-16. At home, good crowd on hand to watch this one. Hamilton remains winless on the road. They are a huge anomaly in the CFL this year where teams aren't winning at home, but Hamilton can't win on the road. Dane Evans, 22 of 29, 288 yards. No other stats of note. Trevor Harris, quarterbacking for Montreal, 26 of 35, 244, but two touchdown passes.
1: And that was the difference. Dane Evans went from five touchdown passes against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to zero against the Montreal Alouettes. He put up decent numbers, 76% completion rate, 288 yards, but could not find the end zone. And that was the the real difference maker in this one.
0: Seth Small's longest field goal was 38 yards, which tells you that the Ticats were getting close, but weren't making it. And a huge point in the football game was at one point, Orlando Steinhauer gambles on a third and about three around midfield, doesn't make it. They are now third and touchdown from the two, and instead of going for it, he decides to take the field goal. Not a wrong decision, but hindsight 2020, a touchdown in that circumstance, even the go to try it anyway, might've been more impactful
1: it takes the momentum away from your offense and a little bit of their confidence as well. If you don't have the confidence in going for it on a third and and short inside the five yard line, a third and goal, especially with the way that offense clicked the week before, maybe it wasn't quite as sharp this night, but you have to know that the pieces were there. And if they convert that to a touchdown, it can really change the game around. And even if they don't, it now becomes a first down for Montreal on their own two-yard line, and the field position starts to shift in your favor as well.
0: Keandre Smith, a player of note, a receiver for the Tiger Cats, he had that chance before the third and two to catch the ball in the corner of the end zone, bounced his elbow off the turf, and that created the ball to, or allowed the ball to get away from him, and he couldn't make the catch in the corner. And then, unfortunately for him, An extra effort play in the final minute and he gets, as he's reaching forward, he slams the ball into the leg of a player and it knocks it from his hand and he fumbles and the game ends right there. Saturday in Ottawa. Again, a good crowd as we've mentioned. See, the Toronto Argonauts destroy the Ottawa Red Blacks 45-15. Toronto's defense three touchdowns in the second half.
1: That was huge. And you look at the points off turnovers, I believe was 28 or 29 points. What it ended up being off of turnovers, just a complete dominance by that Toronto Argonauts defense, a game that was not completely out of hand by any means. Ottawa definitely needed to start to push the envelope in the fourth quarter to give themselves a chance. But that Toronto defense stepped up and just took it away and, and took it away in, in every form of it with a, a strip fumble and a couple of interceptions, returned for touchdowns, just really took over that game.
0: Late in that third quarter, it was only 18-9 to before Toronto, as you mentioned, Deontay Dedman actually fumbling deep in his own zone, Toronto capitalizes. And then the Argonauts start making interceptions to. It really compounded the situation for the Ottawa Red Blacks. With the win, the Argonauts get back to a two game lead over the Alouettes in the race for first place in the East. For Ottawa, it is another blow at home. Now they have dropped seven and have yet to win. And they're starting to get into that numbers game of 360 days, which is almost a year since they've last won at home. By the time they get back, it'll be over a year. The Red Blacks have won, but one came in the last two years at home.
1: A real tough situation. And as we alluded to in the first segment, Nick Arbuckle and Caleb Evans both saw some playing time in this one. It did not appear that Caleb Evans was completely prepared to be in there. His first series, he basically threw two passes into the dirt and they punted it away. It took him a little bit of time to get going. Nick Arbuckle came back in late in the game. Unfortunately, by that point, it was too little too late and the turnovers took their toll on them. I thought one thing that the Argonauts did well on offense was they really used multiple weapons McLeod Bethel Thompson completed 21 passes. AJ Ulette had 10 carries for 57 yards. He was pretty effective running the ball as well. Chad Kelly got into the game with a 42 yard run. Unfortunately for him, ended in a fumble, but it created some excitement and the the Argonauts really embraced him taking the ball and and running as hard as he could towards that goal line as well. It was a, a great moment of levity for that Argonauts team late in the game.
0: Arbuckle, Nick Arbuckle, and Caleb Evans combined for 33 of 54 in passing, 368 yards. Again, the
1: overriding massive stat, five interceptions. I really wonder how things are going to end up next year with the starting quarterback situation in Ottawa as well. Jeremiah Mazzoli, we know they invested in him. Unfortunately, this year did not work out because of injury. That might leave poor Nick Arbuckle packing his bags once again and and looking for work with another team. We'll have to see how that kind of shakes out.
0: Arbuckle, he is the uh, wandering Glen of this decade. Later Saturday in British Columbia, huge game. Second place, still up for grabs. The Stampeders go into town and dominate the BC Lions, winning 25-11. Jake Mayer, 27-33, 294. Vernon Adams caught that sine wave and unfortunately the roller coaster was taking him down this time. 12 of 24 for 151. In fact, Antonio Pipkin comes in late. Now it's garbage time granted, but takes the team down the field, completes four of six for 66 and a touchdown. The only touchdown that BC would score.
1: A couple of key moments in this game. It looks like Brian Burnham's season may be over with a broken wrist. A tough loss, another key offensive weapon for the BC Lions. We saw him with some injury issues last season as well, so hopefully he makes a full recovery, but at best he might be back looking at it in playoff time, but not likely to see too much of Brian Burnham in game action here for the rest of the regular season.
0: It was such a freak injury for Burnham. He catches the football, he's coming down, he's been hit, so he plants his right hand down, and as he's coming down, his face mask grill slams into his hand on the ground. I feel for him because he is the most clutch receiver there is in the Canadian Football League. And after the rib injury, you kind of hoped that that would be all that he would have to face this year.
1: Absolutely. And in Calgary news, Jake Mayer has signed a two-year extension which makes us now begin the speculation of what happens with Bo Levi Mitchell. Is it possible we see, we've got about one week until the trade deadline, do we see a move anywhere with Bo Levi Mitchell, or is he hanging on through this season and perhaps looking at a new opportunity in the next one?
0: I'm of the belief that Mitchell won't request a trade. He's already stated as much anyway. The thing that you have to remember is the size of that contract. If you want Mitchell, that's a huge chunk of change, even to pay him out for the rest of this season. That is going to turn away a lot of suitors. And the question is, who out there is willing to sign him for next year anyway? Him and um, Michael Riley were the two quarterbacks that were on such huge contracts after the big free agent frenzy of 2019, that's a lot of money. Now, you can always work to restructure. Mitchell did that with the Stampeders. Teams may be interested, but there, that's a lot of money. And who has the cap room left this year to even try? And truthfully, of the teams that are in the hunt, who wants them? Is it Hamilton? Do they Do they want a chance on this? Is it Saskatchewan?
1: I don't believe anybody makes that move this year, but those two teams certainly. And again, there's always the question mark of McLeod Bethel Thompson. He's having a a great year by his standards this year, but is he an elite quarterback? We know the Argonauts organization seems to like to throw some money towards ex-Calgary Stampeders, and this could be another case of somebody moving east next season. Uh, One more injury note to talk about in this game as well is Calgary offensive lineman Derek Dennis carted off with a broken tibia. Uh, Another tough loss for the Stampeders. At this point in the season, you want to ensure that you've got your quarterback protected, and this one could be a big hit.
0: Calgary with the win ties BC in the standings. That creates a whole lot of problems for prognosticators trying to determine who will finish first, second, third in the West.
1: down
0: we're back to a four game sked as we head into week 17 in the canadian football league we're going down the stretch towards the playoffs seems like the games are getting magnified but they all matter if you're playing them in june or in september each one you need to make the playoffs we start on National Truth and Reconciliation Night with the Saskatchewan Roughriders coming off the bye. Had some news from that. Facing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Winnipeg. Winnipeg uh, is installed as an eight point favorite. Roughriders, of course, not going to have backup quarterback Jake Dolagala, who was pulled over for impaired driving.
1: Just to touch on that briefly, it looks like the the Rough Riders seem to be getting in front of this, a one-game suspension for Jake Dolagala. If you recall last year, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were in a similar situation with Kenny Lawler on a bye week with an impaired driving charge. Matching that penalty that the Bombers issued last season that the CFL agreed to, it looks like it's going to be a similar situation here.
0: If there's anything that was positive that came out of this, Dolagala admitted to the team prior to the media outlets getting hold of this story what had happened and the Rough Riders got out in front of it again by immediately issuing the one game suspension and they also had a very strongly worded statement about uh, impaired driving and I commend them for that in the greater scheme of things it means that Mason Fine now is the backup quarterback for this game with Winnipeg installed as 8 point favorites the Blue Bombers of course coming off of A bye going into the bye. They got pummeled by the Tiger Cats in Hamilton. I'm thinking once again, as they had with the Banjo Bowl, that the Blue Bombers are looking to make a statement with this football
1: game. I agree with you on that one. There are some key components of that Winnipeg offense still missing. Greg Ellingson, for one, will not be in the lineup. Drew Wolotarski, another one that will still be missing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers by the looks of things as well. However, we did see what happened last time in Winnipeg. It was a a blowout win for the Blue Bombers, and I'm with you on this one. I think they've got a lot to prove. Hopefully, for the Bomber fans, that loss to Hamilton was a wake-up call, and they were maybe looking ahead to the bye a little bit too much. So they will be back at it here this week. I believe that Winnipeg does this one, does win this one and does cover the eight and a half points.
0: Saskatchewan rarely does well in Winnipeg except in playoff games. Regular season games, unless Michael Bishop is their quarterback or Daring Durant, both of whom no longer in the league, they tend to struggle mightily. I'm with you on that. The Blue Bombers to cover. Later that night, Ottawa is in British Columbia to take on the Lions. The Lions, of course, went into Ottawa earlier this season and beat the Red Blacks 34-31 BC is seven and a half point favorites in this game. The only concern I have is which Vernon Adams is going to show up. After the game he played in Calgary, where he played so well, I thought that he was going to provide BC with some stability at quarterback, something that they had not gotten with Pipkin, Antonio Pipkin, at the helm. I'm still wondering... If Michael O'Connor is in the mix, again, BC at home, Ottawa on the road. Ottawa away from home is a 500-football team. BC is strong at home.
1: Ottawa is better on the road than they are at home. However, that performance we saw against the Argonauts, it appears it's a team in turmoil. They're now traveling to the West Coast for the late game against the BC Lions. I don't think it really matters what Vernon Adams Jr. shows up in this one. I believe that BC wins this this handily. Ottawa just doesn't seem to have much left to play for this season. They're barely clinging on to a, a hope of a playoff spot, but I think it gets quashed this week and BC wins and covers that seven and a half point spread.
0: All depends if Vernon Adams Jr. is too excited. I think that's what happened in the game against Calgary back in BC place. He gets in front of the home crowd. He wants to perform so well. He's got family there. He just got a little bit too jacked up and he and the nerves kind of got to him. And now with Ottawa, little less media hype because there's it's not a western opponent. It's not a battle for second place. That offense is well suited for him. Even with Burnham out, they still have weapons all over the place. The thing that is interesting about Ottawa is their defensive secondary, they're against basically the defense against the pass, is the best in the CFL.
1: It is. They definitely have some weapons back there. Lucky Whitehead, you've got Javon Katoy, you've got James Butler, Dominic Rimes. The list goes on in, in weapons for the BC Lions. For Ottawa to have a chance, that defensive secondary is really going to have to step up and they are going to have to drastically cut down on those mistakes on offense that they made late in the game against Toronto.
0: I'll take BC to cover. Saturday, Alberta plays host to two football games. We start in the northern capital. Montreal is in town to take on the Elks. The Elks in a really tough spot. Haven't won at home since 2019. More importantly, it's they're in a tie with the Ottawa Rough Riders for most consecutive home losses. This is the game that they need to win to snap the streak. On so many different levels. And if the Elks want to have a chance at the playoffs, they have to win. Montreal, of all the teams that started slowly in the league, seems to be the one that has really kept it together. Other than the blip against Ottawa, they have played very well.
1: This is a tough one to call. For me, I'm beginning to be more and more sympathetic to our friends at the Turf District and those Edmonton Elks fans. I really, really want for them and that organization and Victor Kui and everybody involved for them to win a home game. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and say the Elks finally snap that home losing streak. Get out there, Elks fans. Enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy your first win of the season at home.
0: Montreal at 3.5 favorites. You've got the other issue of Trevor Harris coming back to the place where he was just prior to being traded to the Alouettes. Alouettes have a lot to play for if they want to have a home date and if they want to finish first, they have to continue to win. Danny Machoche has a long history with the Edmonton organization as well. I wonder if... When the Elks players come out in the field, what kind of greeting they're going to get because they just come off a win against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is the crowd going to be excited or are they going to look up at a basically empty stadium? Even 15,000 over 60 looks empty and get disappointed and those stuffing comes right out of them right away. So hard to know. Jones is playing down the streak. He doesn't want to even hear about it. That's fine, but it's there. The Alouettes on the road, the way road teams are winning, and the way road teams are winning in Edmonton, I've got to pick the Alouettes to cover. The nightcap on Saturday. Really interesting game. The Toronto Argonauts and the Calgary Stampeders. The Argos coming in with a four-game winning streak. Stampeders coming in with a big win on the road in British Columbia.
1: This is a great matchup. We've got the first place team in the East against a team in the West that is very much in the mix to finish at or near the top of the standings. The Argonauts have been stringing things together, as you mentioned, four consecutive wins. Now moving West against a pretty tough opponent. This is a a very difficult call. I'm going to go with my second upset of the week. I think the Toronto Argonauts go into Calgary and pull this one out and really take a stranglehold on that first place in the East.
0: Calgary is set up as a 5.5 favorite. That's a big call to go against that. One part of the Toronto game that has just not really received the notoriety that I think it deserves is that defense. They are ball hawks. That defensive line gets after the quarterback. They have a special linebacking core, they've got it all on defense and they make it happen. And that defense, as we saw against Ottawa, 42 of the 45 points came off of something that the defense did to turn the ball over and create points off turnovers, either directly with touchdowns or indirectly with the offense getting set up on a short porch. That can't be overlooked. Calgary's got a stout defense. Got two quarterbacks that are Playing very well. This could be the most interesting game of the weekend. Boy, this is tough. This is, I just want to enjoy this one and not even pick it. But if I have to, I'll go with the favorite. I'll go with Calgary and maybe not to cover.
1: As much as we sit here and try to predict which game is going to be the most entertaining of the week. And, and we we think we know what we're talking about when it comes to making these picks. Anything can happen on game day and and we've seen that in the past with games that you think Winnipeg Hamilton sure comes to mind you you thought there was no way that Winnipeg goes in and and loses that one and they get absolutely blown out i agree with you i believe this one is going to be a lower scoring game i think it's going to be a pretty tightly contested defensive matchup and for the reasons that you said that Toronto defense to me stands out as the as the one that's going to make the difference
0: If anything that this season has taught us is that the gap between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league has shrunk significantly to the point that where Ottawa goes in and upsets the Elks in Edmonton, Hamilton defeats Winnipeg, Montreal goes into Winnipeg and defeats Winnipeg. Anyone can beat anyone on any given day. And if you're scheduling a season, isn't that what you want?
1: Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at
0: Third Down Gamble. Join us again the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio
1: worth watching. 3rd Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.